This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. This is what I wanted to talk about this morning. I wanted to talk about uh, how does our Buddhist practice our Zen Buddhist practice support us to relate to um, the kind of turmoil in our society, where uh, racism, in particular, with uh, African Americans being uh, subjected to inappropriate behaviors. How does our practice help us relate to that? I think in a way if we don't ask and answer that question, um, they'll feel like two different things. Why are we talking about this when we should be talking about that? Uh, And also I think that our practice has a lot to offer as we look at these things. And I think the Zen notion of uh, appropriate response, the challenge for us is like, how do we bring that to anything and everything life presents? Uh, and, and this morning, I'd like to reference it from the six paramitas, in particular, the sixth paramita, uh, prajna, or insight. So I want to do a certain kind of experiment. Uh, We'll just see where we get with it. Um, But let me preface it by saying this. Zen training asks of us that whatever arises in our life, in particular when what's arising has for us an energy, a uh, kind of intense engagement one way or another, positive or negative, or just intensely interesting or aversive. It's it's a telltale sign that there's something there that we would learn from if we explored it. And I think this particular issue, and then all the other of racism, and then the other issues that uh, intersect with it. I think they have a lot to teach us, especially, maybe most importantly, about our own being. You know, part of that's what prompted me the last time I gave a talk to talk about my own history. Uh, what can I learn from that? What are my biases? You know, I started the last talk by mentioning uh, 
an experience I had when I was with another a group of teachers, four of us teach a course, year-long course, and we were thinking, asking ourselves, well, how can we help us all, and the people who take the course, to be more attentive to the influences of racism One of the teachers said, well, there's this marvelous thing called um, the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. And then another teacher, who I think it's relevant, is uh, half Mexican and half Native American Indian, uh, said, I don't mean to be offensive, but I mean to say, that if I told my family, who are half Mexican and half American Indian, that that's how we were going to explore diversity, they'd laugh. And, uh, I thought, oh, so we're displaying implicit bias as we talk about taking a test to explore implicit bias. I don't think we have to be filled with consternation or guilt around such things. Uh, I think we should be educated and informed about them, but uh, surely Buddhism teaches us that conditioned existence, however it has come to be into being for us, will assert a conditioned response to what's going on. which makes wisdom, or in the Mahayana, wisdom beyond wisdom, a particular kind of challenge. And, uh, and I, I think for that reason, that prajna comes as the sixth paramita. You know? The paramitas, as how they're usually formulated, is we have generosity, uh, a sense of engagement that's not about scarcity, but more about that life is abundant, life is rich, and as such, giving and receiving promote our general well-being. And then the second paramita is uh, cultivating the positive qualities of practice. And then the third one is patience. Despite our good intentions, despite our earnest notion that harboring implicit bias test would be a good thing to do. Someone may come along and say, well, maybe and maybe not. Despite our good intentions to behave and act in a certain way, our biases bubble through. Our fixed patterns of thinking and behaving and emoting assert themselves.
if it flips us over into agitation, you know, towards ourselves or towards others, I think the conversation becomes dangerous. And in a more practical way, I, I think it gets misled by a feeling of uh, danger. I think most of us, I know certainly for myself, I have a lot to learn about many things, and this topic is one of them. I will make mistakes. Others will make mistakes. That's part of learning. And then the fourth paramita is um, how do we engage with a constancy and an energy? Maybe it's in practice we would say, give yourself to it. to trying to get food from our plates. Whether we like it or not, they're fully committed. Give ourselves to the life we're living. Give ourselves to the society we're part of, whether we like it or not. transformation. But then the fifth paramita uh, is entering deeply the merciful ocean, being immersed in, being part of. Yes, we can learn a certain amount in the abstract. But really, when we're part of something, and I think this is what my co-teacher was chuckling about. Oh, you want to do something abstract to learn about something that's intimate to being alive? But then the sixth paramita, wisdom, insight. How in the midst of subjective being, how in the midst of being so thoroughly immersed that we can't see the totality of the influences that are acting upon us, 
and the consequences of our behaviors. How can we cultivate insight? So, so here's the experiment. I thought up of some responses to that last question. How do we cultivate insight? Or how do we realize insight? And I thought we could break up into triads and discuss. I, I created two things. One category I called reflections, and the other one I called practices. And I thought we could break into triads. And in the triad, try them on, discuss them. Maybe there's an emphasis on try on, you know? If we just become abstract and philosophical, we could say all sorts of things. I totally endorse that, and I'm going to give my whole life to it. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you poke around in your being, uh, how does it appear to you? So here's one way to think of the process of insight in, uh, in Zen, and I would think in spirituality. There's a category that arises with contemplation. We contemplate something. And, and as we bring attention and energy and engagement to it. Um, the contemplation teaches us. We see the implications of it. I was reading an article, a, a transcript of a, a dialogue between Rishma Menachem and Robin D'Angelo, and both uh, current luminaries in the world of attending to racism, the impact of it, and in particular, Robin D'Angelo's, her specialty currently is how that takes shape within a white heritage. And one of the things that stood out for me, and what Rajma said, he said, you know, any identity can be subject to pathology. Now, when he was talking about identity, he was saying, any fixed way of thinking, you know, you get a certain identity, a certain way of categorizing people, categorizing yourself, categorizing any aspect of society. He was saying racism, classism, ageism, uh, sexual orientation, he said any of them can become a pathology. Any of them can be that, that way of thinking, that way of categorizing, 
get stuck and rather than serve to open a dialogue, it, it sort of reinforces a prejudice. And then Robin D'Angelo, she added it. And in engaging that, does it take you, the question is, does it take you in? Or does it let you out? And, and what she was getting at was, does it invite you into a more thorough engagement with, with what's represented by that concept, that identity, that way of thinking? Is, is there a way to go in and explore it? What is it? What are the implications of it? What are the assumptions of it? What's a skillful relationship to it? How do I, as a conditioned being, um, have my own biases in relationship to it? What are the challenging questions it presents that I'm moving out of? And that's where she got the out. You know? We avoid this. We move out of that engagement that can inform us. And we can also act out you know, our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors are the product of our own relationship to that fixed thinking. That's reactive rather than insightful. And when I read both of their comments, I thought, sounds like Buddha's teaching to me. So how do we act in? How do we become insightful? Yeah. And so I thought, first one is contemplation. And, and I tried to offer some uh, reflections. It uh, support that. And, and I would say mostly that it is a cognitive process. It's, it's a process of thinking. And then the second category is where we go beyond ourselves, where we go beyond our judgments, our ideas, our usual uh, ways of thinking about something. As Mary Oliver would say, a silence in which another voice speaks. It's more like it speaks to us rather than we tell it what it is. And in terms of that, 
I was thinking of moments where something registers wordlessly. Or maybe moments when instead of being in the throes of our usual patterns, we see our usual patterns. We see ourselves thinking and feeling about something in a particular way. And and, and in that moment, we just allow that observation to inform us. And in many ways, that uh, stepping out of the conditioned self, if you think of Dogen talking about dropping off body and mind, and, and how extraordinarily significant that was for him, how throughout the Shobokenzo he refers back to that as a seminal moment. Contemplation, going beyond the self, and then the third one, especially in the Mahayana, wisdom beyond wisdom. give over so thoroughly that um, to use Thich Hans term we experience the consequence of interbeing there's something about a state of being that communicates to us beyond any conceptual or cognitive process we're capable of. To my mind, this is particularly interesting when we start to think of something is embodied. When you add into that the Buddhist notion that all existence is one Buddha body, that we sometimes open to Buddha body.
starting at the bio and the front page, reflections. Can you recall particular instances when you had an insightful clarity? Consider what it is to be open to and live the wisdom of practice. What helps and what hinders your access to clarity and wisdom? Are there things you can do that help you step out of your habitual ways of being and acting? Considering the three kinds of wisdom, how have you experienced them? And how are they clarified and realized? So, I thought we could break into threes. And I would say respond to the questions in a nonsensical way. Just see what comes up for you. It doesn't have to be so rational. It doesn't have to be, you know, logical. Insight, by its very nature, tends to lift us beyond just what we can reason out. So you can give them out, and maybe just for the sake of convenience, you could join with the people closest to you. So the bottom of the first page, you'll see reflections. of contemplating the activities of the self is that almost always it's an intriguing subject for us. Almost regardless of whether we think we're wonderful or terrible, uh, it's still intriguing. What a terrible person I am. I'm so bad. I'm so ashamed. so wonderful. I think I'm kind of enlightened. Maybe I'm the best practitioner here. It's something about contemplation um, when we accept the invitation to go in to 
explore deeply, to engage. It, it can take us into a modification of thinking that, that's more spacious. And then if it's in relationship to the self, then the way we're relating to the self is invited to be more spacious. Oh. And that spaciousness has an affinity for a kind of an accepting equanimity. And how do we bring that, can we bring that to each of the isms? privileges that life was then presenting me with. Contemplation. Hmm. Is that so? Not to draw conclusions, not to reinforce Menachem's term not to reinforce the pathology of that way of thinking. Maybe so. It's more like to put the emphasis on the insight, the sense of space, the, the balance of mind, the non-grasping of, of thoughts and feelings. To let that be the teaching. Then the insight Whips back into being the other uh, parameters. And they have a collective benevolence.
offer a generosity to ourselves and others. We offer them the okayness to be who they are. We have a more astute notion of the request of practice. Our patience with the human condition reckons. The willingness to engage Yes, I will. We're drawn to immerse in the merciful ocean. And in a way, to be related to in a different way. Yes, there is that in the human condition. And as Robin DiAngelo said, support us in that turn. Turning from reactiveness, acting out, you're wrong, I'm right. To kind of, what are we doing? What's this about? Who am I in this dynamic. What do I think and feel the other person is? What is this society we're living in? What are the prevailing winds of opinion and prejudice? 
this, there's less of a need to have all the answers. There's us and there's them. And of course, us are right. And by extension, that makes me right too. It seems kind of threadbare and sparse to offer up. Maybe so. To offer up. Hmm, what's going on? What's this about? I would say to you, that's the heritage of the Zen school. Nothing to know, everything to learn. And reflection can help. And, as Reshma says, you can also get stuck in it conjure up some idea and think, that's it. So that was the experiment. I hope it helped in some way or other. And if it didn't, there's lots more teachings coming along today. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma Talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving.